The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Galatians 2, 15 through 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For though the law I died, for through the law I died to the law, so that I might live, so I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Price. That's one of the big, big statements in Scripture right there. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I think it's one of the most challenging things for a follower of Jesus Christ to believe. If I'm being completely candid with you, I struggle very much to believe this sometimes. I struggle very much to believe that I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Because our fear, our insecurity, our questions about where we stand with other people are born out of that soil. Right? That's what grows out of that soil is where we believe our identity really rests. And I'm completely comfortable being vulnerable with you about that for this reason. There's not a person in this room who doesn't wrestle with their identity and the security of their standing. This passage of scripture is about justification. Justification is a $50 theological word and it means... So, okay, so let me put my professor hat on for a second, and then we're going to get into this, and we're going to talk about some art this morning, which I'm excited about, but first, justification, sanctification, glorification. These are kind of three movements in the life of a follower of Christ. Justification is when you are declared righteous in the Son of God by grace through faith in Christ alone. God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ, end of story. And this is what happens at conversion, that we are, the righteousness of Christ is placed upon us, as our unrighteousness is placed upon him on the cross and dealt with, and God will never see us as people who are at odds with him ever again. We are declared innocent and guilty. That's what justification is. We're declared innocent. And we are innocent because of the righteousness of Christ that is on us like a cloak Sanctification, then, 
is the life that follows, and it's the life of becoming more like Christ. It's the Spirit's indwelling work inside of us, changing us, transforming us, growing us, maturing us, exposing sin in our lives, causing us to repent. And it's a work that is, is not a, a, a straight line moving in an upward direction, but it's a, it's a, it's a line of peaks and valleys where we have moments of, of revelation and true repentance and growth. And then we have other seasons of, of, of folly and ignorance and the Lord exposes us and he reveals our sin to us, but we grow and we're being transformed in an ongoing way. And then glorification is that part where we leave this world and we're in the presence of Christ forever and every sad thing comes untrue and every sinful inclination in our heart is done away with forever and we are at peace with him in his presence for all eternity. This, it's an amazing thing to think about, isn't it? It's more than just something to think about. If you're a Christian, this is your story. This is where things are going. This is where things are. In this passage, Paul is talking about justification. He's talking about what it means to be somebody who is under the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And there's no more earning anything with God. There's no more proving your worth. It's all established. It's all addressed. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And so the way I want to do this is I want to talk actually about uh, Vincent Van Gogh. Um, and I want to talk about the, the craft and the art of self-portraits. Um, everybody in this room, no matter what your job is, no matter what you spend your days doing, whether you are at home or whether you go to work someplace, you're, 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 you're applying yourself to a craft. We're all craftspeople. We're learning how to do things and we practice things and we, we learn the nuances of them. We get better at them. We get more comfortable with them. Um, have you ever tried to paint a self-portrait? Are any of you painters or drawers and you've, and you've done a self-portrait? Anybody? I had to do, see a few hands. I had to do this in, in high school, uh, in art class, we did self-portraits. And um, here's the funny thing about self-portraits. You have to be honest. Because if you're not honest, you may draw a picture of somebody, but it may not necessarily look like, like you. And so when I was in high school uh, with my flowing locks of, of wonderful hair, um, I had this assignment to draw a self-portrait, and so as I went from the paper to the mirror to the paper to the mirror, I tried to draw what I saw, but I also tried to improve upon what I saw, and so I modified some of my own features. I gave myself brighter eyes, I gave myself, my cheekbones were a little bit more chiseled, um, and uh, you know, I, 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 had, I had a greater definition in my face, and it was, it was an exercise in vanity is what it was. Um, and what my vanity got me was it got me a portrait of somebody who didn't really look like me in a B minus. Um, that's what it got me. So Vincent Van Gogh, uh, painted over 40 self-portraits during the span of his, of his output as an artist. And some of these self-portraits weren't honest at all. Um, this is one where Van Gogh painted this portrait of himself, and he did this during a time when he was really enamored and fascinated with Japanese art. Um, and so what he did is he painted this self-portrait, and he gave himself the head of a Buddhist monk. And so he has, he has the shaved head, he has um, Asian-looking eyes, uh, and this, is not a, this, isn't a, this isn't an accurate 
self-portrait of Van Gogh, but it's one that he painted because of affinities that he had. But one of his self-portraits um, that he painted, it's, it's brutally honest. Um, and I want to show it to you. This is, this is uh, it's called Self-Portrait with Bandaged Ear. And I'm just going to leave this up for the rest of the sermon, the rest of our time together. Vincent painted this in 1889, which was the year before he died. He died by suicide. Um, if you know anything about Vincent Van Gogh, we talked about this a little bit last week, uh, you know that he cut off his ear. Uh, you may also know something about him having that delivered to a prostitute who lived in his town um, that he had some kind of a friendship with. He was, he was, a, um, uh, he was a person who, who did not spend most of his time hanging out with the elite. Uh, he, he felt himself to be a, kind of an outcast himself and and uh, so this prostitute, I think, was more than just a prostitute to him. I think she was, she was somebody that he, he was friends with. Anyway, back in those days, in, in the late 1800s, um, psychological disorders and maladies were, were generally labeled madness. So that was kind of the umbrella diagnosis, was madness. So do you have paranoia? Madness. Do you have debilitating depression? Madness. Do you have epilepsy and the seizures that go with it? Madness. Do you cut off your ear and send it across town to a prostitute? Madness, right? And, and, and so Vincent was labeled as mad when he cut off his ear and he went to live in an asylum for the mentally insane. It was a place called St. Remy. And if you've seen a lot of Van Gogh's, the odds are really good that you've seen paintings that he painted while he was in that asylum because he just painted and painted and painted. One of the things that he did is he painted this self-portrait. In fact, he painted two uh, self-portraits where he has this bandage on his ear. And it's fascinating to me because because. What I think is interesting about that is, is here, this represents one of his most profound moments of public humiliation and shame. And he painted a self-portrait. And when you're painting, you can put whatever you want and you can omit whatever you want. And what he did is he painted the bandage and he painted it in such a way that the wounded side of him was showing. It's fascinating how this artist was willing to capture this moment, not once, but, but twice at least, with the bandaged side of him showing. It's hard enough to render a self-portrait. We want to we hide what's broken. We want to appear more beautiful than we actually are. We want to touch things up. And, but when we do this, what we do is we hide what's in need of redemption. We hide what is redeemed. And the truth is, what's redeemed is beautiful. What's redeemed is beautiful. And so my hope as we unpack this text and talk about it and talk about justification is that it's going to result in us being more willing to do this. And that is to live as people with our wounded side visible. The, the bandaged part of us showing. As opposed to the opposite of that. Pretending that Everything's fine, it's all fine, everything's fine. So, Galatians. It's a hard book. 
We've been in it for a little while. We're, we're, we've, got a, we've got a ways to go. But it's one in which Paul is looking readers in the eye and he is saying, do not abandon the gospel because there is no other option. And by the way, the option of the gospel is gloriously beautiful. We are weak. He is strong. We are justified in the sight of God because of the work of Christ and that alone. What justifies us before God? Is it our ability to keep things together? For some of us, this is how we live and move and have our being, right? Is we're trying to keep it together or at least look like it's together. Do we justify ourselves by, uh, before God by tracing our spiritual pedigree back to impressive origins? That's one of the things that was at play in the Galatian church is I come from this race, I come from this group of people, therefore I'm, I'm in a better place than the others. Or is it just to, to try to do or to be better than other people? Our weaknesses are opportunities for us. They're opportunities for us to grow in the gospel. And one of the ways we grow is by looking at the grace given to us and then using that to welcome others in as witnesses to that grace. If God could love me, I know he could love you. We talk here about worship, connect, and serve as a pathway for a flourishing, maturing follower of Jesus Christ. And one of those things that we talk about in there is that we would be a church that would be welcoming, that we would befriend and bring in people who don't have a church home. This is part of what we're, what we're wanting to bring people into, is into a community where we're saying, we're not pretending like we have no need. Instead, what we're saying is we have a profound need that can only be met by God himself, but the good news of the gospel is that's exactly what Christ has done. It's exactly what he's done. Is he's met that need. And so when we're befriending and bringing in, it's not just let's get more numbers in the church, but let's say to people who are in our lives and don't have a church home already, I have a community that I'm a part of and I want you to come be a part of a community with me. It's the most natural thing in the world to want to be around others who are just like us. To cocoon, right, with, with people who have the same interests and the same ideals and the same passions. You know, we're ramping up right now for an election year, right? And people are going to cocoon like crazy, right? They're going to find their party. They're going to find their candidate. They're going to find their social media stream that they like, and they're going to swim in it. And we're going to vilify others who disagree with us, and we're going to make cartoonish assumptions about people who think differently than we do. And we're going to, people are going to do all kinds of, of violence to one another in our hearts and minds. Because there's something about us that wants to cocoon and wants to be around people who are just like us. We all do this. We're always trying to figure out where we belong and where we stand. The thing is, is the human heart was made for this. We were made to know where we belong. We were made to know where we stand. It's just that we've tried to figure it out without God. And so if the only people that we ever spend time around are people who are just like us, then what we're going to miss out on is the experience of the beauty of this textured world where there's so many different kinds of image bearers of God. And so we can so easily end up trying to justify ourselves, 
before God and others. And if you've done this, if you're somebody who says, yeah, I try to justify myself before God and others, I'm going to give you the word that goes with it. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Uh, By the way, this is completely tangential, but this week um, I saw somebody advocating work hard, play hard. You ever hear that? That's exhausting too. I just got to tell you. If somebody says, hey, work hard, play hard, there's no, where, where do we rest? Where do we say, maybe what I need to do is work hard and then go down for a little bit, right? I need to rest. It can be exhausting to try to justify yourself before God and before others. It's exhausting to try to present ourselves as the person we would like to be rather than the person that we are. Because I know when I hold up the self-portrait that I've drawn of myself that enhances features that I find less attractive, I know that you know that you're looking at a picture of somebody who is not actually me. And I'm trying to convince you that it is. No, really, this is actually more accurate than this, right? It's exhausting to do this. It's exhausting to live this way. An accurate self-portrait requires humility. It requires the, the willingness to accept the truth of who we really are, and the courage to own it. And the faith to believe that we are also acceptable. But, friends, that's freedom. is believing that as I am, as somebody that God knows and reads full well perfectly, I'm accepted in Christ. My justification is there. In the passage before this one, the one we talked about last week, Paul had publicly called Peter out for abandoning gospel truth. Why did he do this? We talked about this. We said he's fighting for the church, and he's also fighting for Peter. He's fighting for Peter's heart, and he's fighting for us as a product of this to live in the freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the justifying grace of Jesus. Christianity was a paradigm shift for everybody involved back then. Everybody was learning a new way to live as a follower of God. Jews and Gentiles alike were learning how to live in community together as brothers and sisters with no religious hierarchy. This was a new idea. Men and women not being valued according to the culture's estimation of their gender's worth. Rich and poor, slave and free, all living together in community. Living together, being buried alongside each other. And they were all people who had previously found their identity in something else. They'd found it in their nationality. They'd found it in their pedigree. They'd found it in their spiritual acumen. They had found it in their wealth. And we do the same thing. We try to figure out where our worth resides. And what that means is, and where we still copy this pattern, is they were finding their worth in the best things about them. The things I need you to know about me are the best things about me. And those other parts, it would be actually better for me for you not to know they even exist. But the gospel turns that upside down, doesn't it? It turns it upside down. In Christ, we find our worth in how our deepest need has been freely met in the grace of another. That's the best thing you can know about me. Is that I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live according to the work of the Son of God who gave himself up for me. You know what we're responding to when we try to keep our tribes small? 
and we try to keep control of the narrative of our lives, what we're responding to is our desire to be justified. I want to know that I'm okay. We want to be okay. And what Paul says is that this is exactly what he's contending for when he rebukes Peter. Justification. Peter was conveying that we're justified through our actions and our tribe. But no one has ever been justified before God by behaving themselves. (laughs) No one. And no one has ever protected themselves from trouble by keeping their world small. There's only one way to be justified before God, and that is by grace through faith in Christ alone. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The gospel calls us to live in the freedom of knowing that we don't have to live under the burden of earning God's acceptance through our efforts and through our affiliations and through drawing a better self-portrait than the true one. We never again have to rebuild those things the gospel has torn down. Paul says, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a lawbreaker. That I nullify the grace of God when I live as though the cross of Christ was not enough to reconcile me to God. And instead, what Scripture tells us, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. This can be our self-portrait. So this painting, Van Gogh's self-portrait with bandaged ear, it indicts us. I know it indicts me. Because it's asking the question, how willing am I to lead with the fact that I've got a lot of things that aren't right? That I have areas of my life where I'm wounded. I have this painting in my office, actually. Not the original. What I have is called a replica, or not even a replica. It's a print, really. It's just something that came out of somebody's laser printer. Um, but I have this painting hanging in my office, and I do because, because it reminds me of the kind of man I want to be, of the kind of pastor I want to be. That it, it hangs in my office because it reminds me, if I'm drawing a dishonest self-portrait, what I'm doing is I'm concealing my brokenness from others. But the truth is that I need asylum, and my wounds need binding. And if I can't show that honestly, how will anyone ever see Christ in me? In this painting, Vincent shows us his own spiritual and relational poverty. And the irony of it, the beautiful irony of it, is that it's worth millions. Right? This painting that shows a man with the fresh wound of the most shameful moment of public disgrace in his entire life is something none of us could afford to buy. It's just priceless. It's worth millions. He faithfully captures his defining moment of shame. He shows the wound. And this is how God sees us. He sees us as people who are fully exposed in our shortcomings, but of incalculable worth to him. And it's how we should see others and be willing to be seen by others 
Wounded, yes. Beyond price, you better believe it. Listen, the things that come along in life, they throw us. For some, we're just barely holding on. We're barely holding on to the faith that we professed before hard things came our way, before we lost a job or a marriage or we miscarried or we had kids who made decisions that broke our hearts. And for some of us, the wounds are fresh and the pain is tender. Don't hide that. Christ will be strong for you because we all experience pain and we all experience loss and we all experience change and we get our legs taken out from under us and triumphs come and tragedies come and they change us in a moment without warning and our instinct is to try to hold it all together and the gospel says you don't have to. And I pray that we would not be that sort of church where we're just a church full of people who are trying to pretend like we've got it all together. That we wouldn't be individuals like that. But instead what we would be doing is we would be inviting others into a community where we're saying, we're this mix of people where we're willing to let our wounded side show and believe at the same time that we are of incalculable worth to God. What image are you holding on to in order to believe that you belong somewhere. The process of understanding and living out the gospel is this slow prying back of the fingers from all that we've tried to find our identity on and hold on to that isn't eternal. And this process of prying back our fingers one at a time, which God enacts, is a process that can hurt, right? We work hard to build ourselves, to get into certain circles of influence, to find our tribe, to appear a certain way. And we come by this honestly because this is one of those things that's been perverted by the fall. We all want to know who we are. We want to know why we're here. We want to know where we stand. We want to know what gives us ultimate meaning and purpose in life. You've never met anybody who wasn't trying to find their place. Why is this? Because God created us to long for belonging. Our desire to find our people in our place where we belong is a God-giving longing to be at peace with Him. Really? We want to belong and we want to think that we can get by managing a circle of belonging small enough to control and God says, no. You've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. The gospel says... That's how it works. We don't belong to a small tribe. We belong to a glorious, eternal kingdom populated with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who all needed, just as much as the others, the mercy and the grace and the justifying work of Christ on our behalf. And you know what it's a kingdom of? It's a kingdom of masterpieces. Masterpieces with bandaged ears each one of incalculable worth. And I'm asking you today, own that. Own that. And may the justifying grace of Christ free us to deal honestly with ourselves and the portraits that we show and to deal honestly with others about our need 
and about God's provision to meet our need in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful for the truth of the gospel, and I say that as somebody who vacillates in my um, conviction. I know it. I know that I do. Uh, I know that I want to appear in certain ways for certain people at certain times for reasons that have nothing to do with your love and affection for me and the mercy and grace of Christ extended to me and given to me and applied to me. And Lord, I know that's the case for for all of us, uh, that we wrestle, that we wrestle regularly with where we belong and how we fit, what we're worth. Father, remind us and convince our hearts that this question is answered, that we are wounded and in need of a Savior, but we've been given one. That's what we celebrate at Advent, your perfect provision for us in Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Continue to capture us by way of the imagination, stretch our hearts, give us courage uh, to risk vulnerability with one another and to grow and to invite people into our community where we say to one another, I'm willing to let you see my wounds, knowing that because of the work of Christ, my life is, is more precious than I can imagine to my maker. Thank you for your kindness to us, Lord. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.